Hello and welcome back to another episode of Chatting Like Champions. Today I'm joined by my ever-present co-pilot Pavan. How are you doing Pavan? All good, all good. Got some, uh, you know, more round of 16 action to, to cover tonight. Yeah, and we've also got uh, the URM veteran. Hello, Lance. How are you, Reese? I'm very good, thank you. Happy to be on. Um, you know, joining the likes of uh, the great Alex Duke and, uh, and Steve Crossman as guests on the pod. So it's quite very a guest happy. list. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> so today, unfortunately, we had the very sad news come out that Alison's dad, the Liverpool goalkeeper, has tragically drowned near his holiday home in Brazil. So our condolences and thoughts are with the family at this time. And obviously with the player as well. Uh, this week is a week that has seen records broken and a lot of exciting football played. And we are one step closer to knowing who will be in the quarterfinals of this season's Champions League. This is your pilot speaking. It's Pavan here. I was going to roll the name Pavan the pilot, but I thought that's a little bit tacky. So um, I've, I've left that behind. Anyway, it's suitcase of a superstar, numero tres. And your first clue is this player scored 54 goals in 139 appearances for Lazio. Yes, yeah, so we'll take us into the, the Lazio buying game. So this was, a, this was an extremely momentous occasion for the Eagles as they competed in a Champions League knockout game for the first time since the 1999-2000 season. And to put that into perspective... Simone Inzaghi was lining up up front 21 years ago and on Tuesday night he was stood on the touchline as their manager so you know it, can, it tells you the uh, you know the time period and how much Lazio fans have been waiting to compete on the big stage however it seems the nerves really got to the home dressing room as in you know in 10 minutes Masaccio under hit a back pass back to his keeper Pepe Reina which obviously Lewandowski pounced on giving Bayern the lead within the first 10 minutes and this was the Polish striker's 72nd Champions League goal, which saw him overtake Raul in third place for all-time scorers in the competition's history, which is, you know, pretty good. Um, so Lazio, they really failed to respond for the rest of the game, carried on in the same kind of passive, nervous manner. But at 1-0, Milinkovic-Savic did have a bit of a dribble into the Bayern area. And he kind of tripped over Jerome Boateng's trailing leg. Now, after a VAR check, nothing was given, and the ref, you know, didn't uh, didn't think anything was anything should be given either. But you know, I've I've looked at it back, and I'm thinking, you know, we obviously had this discussion on last week's podcast about accidental contact with what happened in the Barca game, what happened in the uh, Porto Juventus game with Ronaldo, and now we've got another one, and I think we've got another one later coming up. Um, I mean, Reese. I guess I'll come to you first. I mean, you know, most people would call that a modern day penalty now. And I'd see that as Savic has kind of dinked the ball past Boateng and Boateng's foot, he's kind of left his foot out. And I think there is actually a little bit of intent in that. So I think that's, you know, slightly, uh, slightly harsh for Lazio. Yeah, no, yeah. Very unlucky, obviously. Um, they did obviously as you say shoot themselves in the foot by you know, Masaccio's awful back pass, which um, you know Lewandowski was never going to um, miss that chance. And then, yeah, but they could have almost got back into it. And on another day, another referee, um, they could have 
they could have been back in 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 the game. Um, yeah, even though I'm a defender and I'd normally be like, oh, that's soft, but I'd, I'd probably say that was a penalty as well. But um, I, in terms of the VAR, you know, VAR's there for for sort of clear and obvious errors, and I suppose you could say that wasn't a clear and obvious um, error by the referee. So, in a way, I sort of rate that VAR didn't get involved. That makes sense. I feel like they've been VAR's much better used in Europe than it is in the Premier League. But you know, that's you could do a whole other podcast on that. <laughs> but um, you know, so yeah, harsh on harsh on Milinkovic Savic, who's obviously you know the heartbeat of that Lazio team in some ways creatively. A brilliant player. But um yeah, unfortunate. But um it's how you respond to that. And um well let's <laughs> let's uh, um spoilers, they didn't respond very well. <laughs> yeah, exactly. As well as we'll see the, the upcoming goals. I mean, Kieran, your your thoughts on the pen incident? I thought that it was a penalty looking at it personally, but it as Ree said, it it was a soft one. Um but I've there's another VAR incident coming up in one of the next few games that we're going to be speaking about and this is always going to be a, a like very highly debated topic just because it is so controversially used in certain parts and the the rules across the leagues don't seem to be consistent it's just it's a bit of a mess I, I think it is a pen as well but you know it's, it's as Reece said it's how you respond and they didn't respond I mean I think the only thing we can say is obviously Lazio's holding midfielder that game was uh, Lucas Leiva and you know what he's best well known for is not for his his on-pitch performances for Liverpool it's you know that that clip so I think the only way we could describe that penalty incident is it was just unlucky for Lazio um, I'll throw to the next point and Jamal Musiala uh, was given the starting spot in the number 10 role with the veteran Thomas Muller absent and the youngsters seamlessly slotted into that team and picked up the ball in the centre of the pitch and drove a, you know, a very powerful low shot into the corner past Pepe Reina. And that goal saw him become the youngest Englishman to score in the Champions League, except for the fact that he's now declared for Germany, uh, you know, a couple of days later. But we'll get into that in a second. Um, I mean, obviously, I, I read that he is he played a lot of youth games for England. Um, and I think he's only appeared twice in youth for Germany, but it seems like Joachim Lowe's had a call with him and said, basically, you know, I'd like to call you up. I think it's in March, the next international break is, and he seemingly accepted that. Um, and, you know, uh, the athletic didn't, did an interview with him and they, they said that obviously he'd like to have played alongside his friends, but he just felt this kind of, not not calling, but I guess you, we could call it a calling to you know go and play for his his birth uh, country at least. Uh, I mean, Reese, obviously England are blessed with central attacking midfielders. Um, I don't know how we're going to get them all in come the Euros, but you know, do you think this is the right decision from his part? And you know, uh, what what kind of level do you think he can reach? Yeah, I think for practical reasons, probably a good decision. Um... I don't know, I'm, I'm sort of comparing it to, you know, like when a player sort of knows he's not good enough to play for England, so he sort of plays for Ireland or something, you know. <laughs> Maybe his ambitions aren't quite uh, as high as we like them to be. But no, um, in all seriousness, um, probably a good move at the moment. Obviously, Germany, uh, national national team-wise, are going for a bit of a rebuild, aren't mm. they? Obviously, they, um, they had that recent um, 6-0 hammering by Spain, didn't they? So they're, 
And obviously at the last World Cup, obviously just a disaster for them. So they're going for a bit of a period of, of rebuilding. Um, and yeah, the fact that, you know, Joachim Love was straight on the phone to him, wanted him to get involved, making him feel wanted, you know, especially when he's um, not even 18 yet. The national team's main manager, you know, not like the under 21s, like the actual manager for the men's team is, is calling you up. But, you know, how can you say no to that? Um, so I don't blame him one bit. And, you know, I feel like he feels like he can be part of something there, part of that rebuild. And in terms of his goal as well, um, he took that so well, took it like a veteran. What a strike as well. And, you know, I'm slightly jealous that Germany have managed to acquire his services because he took that goal so well, so, so well. And, um, yeah, definitely jealous of them. And, um, yeah, definitely jealous of the fact that he's, he's you know, not even 18, he's scoring the Champions League. I don't know what I was doing when I was just about to turn 18, probably at sixth form or something. But not as exciting, let's just say that. So what a player that Germany have managed to nab from us, essentially. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, obviously, you know, he's our age and it's, you know, he's scoring goals in the Champions League for the biggest club in Germany. It's it's pretty crazy. I mean, uh, Kieran, I guess, you know, Rita summed it up quite quite well there. But in terms of obviously Muller's age, he's, it seems like he's, you know, playing season on season and never seems to be deteriorating. But, you know, there will be a stage when they're going to have to find an heir to that, you know, central attacking midfield role. And do you think Musiala can basically fill that void, which means they won't have to go and buy somebody? Yeah, Muller really feels like he's been around forever. I can't remember when he wasn't playing. So I don't know, I don't know how many years he's actually been playing for, but he really has been a key figure in both Bayern and Germany's squads. And he, in my opinion, he's a really underrated player, Muller. I, I think he's actually a lot better than people give him credit for. But he's obviously Musiala's got, he's at Bayern, he's got Muller to learn off of. So what's to stop him being as good as Muller at that point? Mm. He's definitely, he's proven with that goal that he can finish. He's, he looked very lively throughout the game. And he just, he looks to be one of those, one of those more like tricky players um, that kind of find space out of nowhere and pop up and as he did there, just get a goal. It, it was it was a really well taken finish. Um, I think he could definitely do well for Germany. Um, I think on his on his behalf, the move probably to to play for Germany was probably better because Southgate seems to be favouring players that he's already called up. Obviously, we'll find out in this next international break whether he's going to mix that up a little bit. But um, I don't. I didn't see him getting into the England squad when we have the likes of Foden uh, here. Call up Mount, obviously. We got Grealish. It, he's going to favour players that play in England. I feel because he said that it, the the English top flight is like the pinnacle of um, competitions outside of the major European ones. Obviously, so I I think I think it's definitely a good move on his behalf, and we could one day regret. The decision not to get him yeah. and i can i i can see like in a few years time he pops up scores a winner against us in like a world cup probably it's gonna happen because he plays he's a he's a german national but oh well uh yeah. i guess we're i guess only time at hell yeah absolutely you can just see the day when we come up against germany and i don't know foden's injured or something and and he goes and bangs one in but yeah it depends on you know if the if you know this next generation of 
in five years time let's say and Foden's like our only attacking midfielder you might we might regret, regret that but anyway it is his birthday on Friday and we are recording this on Thursday so when you hear this it'll probably be his birthday so yeah happy birthday to him and you know big things ahead for that for that young man I don't know why I said young man because you know he's our age but anyway you know good luck to him in his uh, in his future endeavors I mean uh, you know, carrying on with the game, either side of half time, Leroy Sané, the summer signing, was terrorizing Lazio defenders, scored a tap in and fizzed in a cross uh, that basically hit a Serbi, which made it 4 0. Uh, Wacking Correa did pull a consolation back before the clock hit 50 minutes, but the damage was done. And I think we all agree that Bayern should see this through come the second leg. Your second clue is they collected 307 Bundesliga appearances, scoring 121 goals and won two German league titles. Right, so moving on to the second game that we're covering, it is the Atletico-Chelsea game that took place in Bucharest. Um, It was Chelsea that emerged victorious in a game which on paper looked to be very closely contested. Um, Obviously, Atletico was forced to play their home tie over 3,000 kilometres from their actual home grounds due to COVID restrictions. Um, Olivier Giroud, who, who else, popped up and decided to score an overhead kick in this game to put Chelsea ahead in the 68th minute. And Atletico really struggled to gain a foothold in the game. Um, honestly, with, with the goals that Giroud has, who, yeah, that Giroud has scored... You could convince someone that doesn't know anything about football that he is one of the great all-time greats, to be honest. Some of the goals he has scored is completely ridiculous. But um, Simeone seems to have got the tactics wrong in this game, to be honest. Um, Atletico didn't really look very threatening, apart from a few brief moments in the opening 20 minutes. Obviously, uh, Mendy made a mistake in goal, which I think it was Jao Felix nearly um, pounced on, but... it never came to be. Um, they only had six shots with zero on target and they gave up large amounts of possession for their obviously compact defensive approach to the game. Um, so, Reese, how do you see Simeone responding now that his team are going into the second leg a goal behind? Surely they can't just sit back and hope to hit Chelsea on the break anymore? Yeah, I, I never know what to expect with... Um... <laughs> never know what to expect from Atletico in the Champions League um, I remember Liverpool um, either drawing or, or winning away there last season and then you know Atletico went to score three at Anfield and, and <laughs> excuse me and, and knocked them out um, which was absolutely mental so yeah I'm not going to expect um, Chelsea to have an easy second leg um, and yeah on the Giroud thing as well like, I don't even think that's in his top five career goals that overhead kick even though it's amazing um, which is what a goal it was um, and it, you know he's, he's just evergreen as well we're talking about Thomas Miller being evergreen Giroud's 34 now and he's you know still performing and um, yeah being an Arsenal fan like Pavan I was sad when we sold him but um, oh, Giroud and yeah Atletico like you say very disappointing as well that that Mendy mistake you know sort of came to nothing he, he was sort of lucky not to make con- any contacts and I think there was like a Suarez low cross that nobody was really gambling on. And that was about yeah, it as far as Atletico's chances went. Lamar got on the end of that and didn't get anything major on it and just kind of kicked it um, 
out of play. Uh, what did? How do you think that um, Simeone are going to set up Atletico going into the into the next um, leg? Then Pavan. Well, uh, you know, as we said, you don't really know what to expect, but I think this Atletico team are a lot more unpredictable than you know than they have been in past seasons. Um, you know, a star could just be born as Marcus Llorente was at Anfield uh, last season. So I think Chelsea have got to be very careful. Uh, the, the thing is with Chelsea, they don't seem to be scoring a lot. So, you know, if Atletico bag an away goal, I think it puts the tie, you know, for a very exciting finish. So, yeah, I think Chelsea have either got to find, you know, their shooting boots and make sure they score, uh, uh, you know, at least one or two at home. Um, if it is at home, obviously, we, we, it seems to be with the uh, you know lowering of restrictions now. Um, but yeah, trying to defend against Atletico, they're just so unpredictable. They might just, you know, you might see Jao Felix have an absolute stellar of a game. But yeah, very interesting second leg coming up. As Chelsea's goal was scored by Giroud, the linesman instantly raised his flag for offside. And there was what seemed to be a lengthy VAR check, which occurred um, after it, which eventually ruled it onside as the ball deflected off of uh, Mario Hermoso in, rather than Mason Mount. Now, that check actually only lasted three minutes, but it felt so much longer. Um, obviously, we've, as we've mentioned before, the subject of how VAR is used um, has been debated since it's been introduced. And obviously this call was a correct one, but uh, Reese, how do you feel we can avoid interrupting the flow uh, of the game when using VAR and possibly speed up the process? Yeah, it's a tough one, isn't it? Because, you know, it ultimately reversed an incorrect decision and you can't really blame the linesman for getting it wrong because, you know, it was obviously so hard to see that, um, that it was in fact onside, you know, kicked by an Atletico player rather than a Chelsea player um, into Giroud's path. Um, and, you know, we're so glad that it, it got ruled onside because what an amazing goal it was. But, um, yeah, I think it's sort of more sort of forgivable now when there aren't sort of fans there. But, um, you know, when there's fans there and they've got to sit there for, you know, three minutes and, like you say, it feels like half an hour, I'm not sure that's going to quite be acceptable, you know, um, you know, Chelsea fans have to wait that long to sort of get to celebrate their team score or not. You know, it's it's a bit ridiculous. So it's a tough one. Maybe more camera angles. It's it's so tough, isn't it? It's such a tough one for for VAR. Um, but you know, imagine if it took all that time and then they were wrong, or they took a bit less time and got it wrong. You know, it's it's a it's a real tough issue. But I feel like. At least whilst there's not fans there, you can sort of get away with taking a bit longer just to make sure you've got the right decision. But so it must have been a painful wait for the Chelsea fans watching at home on the telly um, <laughs> to see if that Giroud goal was, was going to be given or not. But uh, yeah, yeah no, real tough one. It definitely must have been a tense few moments there. Uh, Pavan, have you got any thoughts on how VAR could possibly be um, sped, the process could be sped up or it could be better for viewers of the game? Well, I, I think obviously, you know, what Reese is saying about the fans is is pretty nailed on. But obviously, when there's not fans there, when you're watching a Premier League game, they do that. You see kind of the lines being drawn or, or a VAR screen come up and you have these three separate screens, uh, you know, with one showing 
a replay and the other one showing the rare floor. And I don't know why, but when we get to the Champions League, they just don't provide that for the viewer. And I think, you know, when there's no fans there, at least show some, you know, replay. or Because I think BT had to show their own replay because, um, uh, you know, the the actual UEFA aren't, haven't got that in. So I think that really made it feel slow. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, it's an ever-going problem. And I guess we're getting to... VAR territory will probably come back in the next episode and the one after that. So, yeah, I guess we, we've just got to strap ourselves in, haven't we? Your third clue is that they are currently a first-team assistant coach at FC Bayern München after retiring in 2014. So, we've got Atalanta versus Real Madrid, which wasn't as eventful as, you know, some of the other games. Um only finished 1-0 to Real Madrid. But going into this fixture, Zinedine Zidane was without lots and lots of his key men with the following senior players ruled out. Sergio Ramos, Karim Benzema, Edin Hazard, as always, Valverde, Carvajal, Marcelo, Militao and Rodrigo were all out for this game. So, you know, it really was needs must for Zidane. Um, After what was probably Real Madrid's best passage of play, Further, Mendy found himself charging towards the edge of the box. Looked to be, well, it looked to be through on goal until Freuler brought him down on the edge of the box. Now, the ref showed absolutely no hesitation and sent off the Swiss international. But, you know, many who have, been, who have watched it back thinking there is technically a covering defender. Now, he is kind of the other half on the other half of the pitch, but he is behind... Uh, the action or, or he's facing the action at least so that would deem there is a covering defender by law um, so it wouldn't be a last man challenge therefore it wouldn't be a red card but many are saying you know the refs kind of got that one wrong and I know we've just talked about VAR and refs but this one seemed like a very um, a very solid call from the referee himself rather than a, a VAR problem I mean Reese, do you do you think that was a another harsh decision on on um, another Italian side. Yeah, no, absolutely um, not a red card for me. I feel like, you know, he's a pacey customer, is Mendy. Um, we'll give him that. But <laughs> I feel like the angle that he sort of closes in at on goal and the sort of angle of the covering defender and sort of how central he is to the goal, I feel like he is definitely a covering defender for me. And it was just the fact that the, the the referee seemed to not even take a moment mm. to ponder or, you know, consider the ramifications of this decision. He made his mind up instantly, sent off the man. And it, you know, obviously completely changed the game. Um, you know, I want to quote Garth Crook saying, he's ruining great games. <laughs> but um, that, that's all what happened because, you know, we were, we were looking forward to seeing Atalanta's attack, you know, they're very free-flowing going forward, but obviously had to completely switch up their game plan following the red card, as as you would, you know, against, you know, when you're a man down to Real Madrid, even with their absentees. And, yeah, harsh decision, completely changed the game and could overall change the tie. But um, I guess only time will tell for that last, that last point. Yeah, I mean, Kira, obviously... I, I think the commentator said it would be interesting if he'd actually been taken down in the box because there is 
kind of confusion over this double jeopardy law. And if he'd brought him down the box, I don't think by law he would have actually got a red card. But because he brought him down on the edge of the box, he got a red card. So, you know, the laws are, are kind of all over the place. But yeah, what did you think about this incident? I think the laws definitely need to be shored up because it's getting to the point where they they kind of contradict each other and they don't make sense because how can the same foul outside of a box be a red but the one inside the box not be a red that that doesn't make sense in my head but um obviously Mendy as Reese said is a very pacey player and he's always going to try and beat a man for pace but I I don't know I don't think it was I don't think it was a red card at all and it was definitely and it definitely changed the complexion of the game after that because Real Madrid just looked a lot more confident, looked a lot more on top of play. Um, and ultimately, it, it really could cost Atalanta the, um, the tie here. But um, I guess only time to tell with that. Um, the, the, obviously, it'd be Atalanta playing away next, so they're going to need to get two goals to progress because away goals law. But we'll, I guess we'll see. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, Gasparini's men were a man down, unable to showcase their attacking brilliance. But, I mean, to their credit, they defended so admirably and Real were far too passive in their play, unable to break them down. Lots of, you know, last-ditch challenges from the Atalanta defenders. Um, I think Gasparini lost... I, I, I think he lost Zapata to injury. Uh, he took Muriel off for Ilicic and then Ilicic actually got... Um, you know, the sub got subbed. Uh, so he kind of lost his best three attacking players anyway, just already being down to 10 men. And, you know, just as it looked like all that hard work was going to pay off, Furla Mendy whipped in a, you know, a peach of a strike on his weaker right foot in the 86th minute after it was worked to him from a short corner. Um, I mean, you know, that that's a proper sucker punch, Rattle, as I really felt for them there. Um, you know, I think a lot of people are rooting for Atalanta just because of the way they play and, you know, the, the connection they've got to their fans. Uh, I mean, we obviously know that uh, Steve Crossman like has a soft spot for Atalanta because Martin Darun, who spent a season at Middlesbrough, uh, is, you know, playing in the Atalanta midfield for them. Um, I mean, this game is still finely poised. And I think Atalanta are definitely not the kind of team to be intimidated by anybody, um, despite going to the Bernabeu next. And obviously, with their desire to score goals, they're a bit like they're a bit like the Leeds, the the Italian version of Leeds. They just keep attacking, um, and it's it's relentless, really. I mean, Reese, do we think Los Blancos will confirm their place in the quarters, or Atalanta are they going to get their revenge? You know, I fancy them to score at least one at the Bernabeu. To be fair, yeah. and let's not forget that Real Madrid have lost. Well, it was at their sort of training ground stadium. Um, the Alfredo Di Stefano mm. Stadium. They 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 did lose there to Shakhtar in the group stage. So they're not, um, you know, they're not exactly indestructible this season in the Champions League, and obviously aren't having a great time on or off the pitch generally. So Atlanta, Atalanta, not Atlanta, Atalanta could play on that in the second leg with a, with eleven men. Hopefully, with some attackers back, and um, could pose a threat. But yeah, no, you're right, Real Madrid. You know, if the extra man advantage didn't really work anything and so I had to rely on an absolute, mm. um, well, not Thunderbolt, but, you know, an absolute perler from um, from Ferland Mendy. So it wasn't like they sort of 
managed to work it into the box and take advantage of the extra man that way. It's, they sort of had to rely on a sort of, you know, one of those miracle strikes, if you like. And what a goal it was, by the way. Um, but it took them until the 86th minute scoring against a team that, you know, were down to 10 very early on. Poor from them. I know they won, but that's, that's poor from them. And, you know, a team of their stature um, and reputation. So I reckon Atalanta can still definitely do them some harm. This tie is far from over, in my opinion. Yeah, Kieran, obviously, you know, Real Madrid are, I think, they, I think they're looking to have Ramos and uh, Hazard back for the second leg. So do you think that's going to make a difference? I, I'm not too sure, to be honest. Obviously, Ramos is such a key player for them. He always has been, especially in the Champions League. So I feel like he could definitely pick them up a bit more and possibly get them going because he's, he's such a great leader on the pitch for them. But um, Atalanta are definitely a team with a lot of spirit and they're, they're going to give it their all until the final whistle of the next game. So it's definitely far from over. Um, I liked that comparison of the Italian leads. We had the Spanish, Nor- we had the Spanish Norwich last episode. Yes, now we yeah. have the Italian leads. But um, yeah, it's, it's a good comparison, actually. They both play quite similar styles of football, very attacking, but it does leave them defensively quite questionable sometimes. So we'll just see if Real Madrid does can exploit that weakness in their game. Um, but it's definitely going to be an exciting game coming up. Your fourth clue is he is Germany's top scorer of all time, with 71 golasos. So moving on to the final game that was played out this week, uh, Mönchengladbach faced off against City, in which City emerged victorious in a game where they were expected to dominate. Um, City have now made it 19 straight wins, and they, they really faced no threat from Borussia Mönchengladbach as they sealed them out for large periods of the game, Obviously, Bernardo Silva opened the scoring with a header after a beautifully floated ball by Cancelo set him up perfectly. Um, Alessane Plié caused Edison a bit of worry down City's end not long after that with a close flick. But other than that, it was all going City's way. Um, Gabriel Jesus doubled their lead in the 65th minute with a close range finish, but Cancelo was uh, was really the one that was responsible for creating that move as well. It was a real masterclass from him. Uh, it, obviously, he crossed the ball um, into Bernardo Silva, who headed it down to the path, path of Jesus, who fired home. Um, City obviously looked to be in a very strong position to win the Premier League again. Um but it's the Champions League really is that trophy that's eluded Pep in his time at City. Um, Reese, is this the season where he finally gets his hands on the Champions League trophy, or is it too early to tell? Obviously, they're yet to come up against a real big team this season as such, so they haven't been tested too much. But do you see the City squad going all the way? The way they're playing at the moment, like say, 19 straight wins... Um, who's to say they can't? You know, they've, they've, to be fair, they've, they've been unlucky in previous seasons. The uh, quarterfinal against Spurs comes to mind um, in that sense. Um, and, yeah, I suppose since... I don't think Pep's won it since he was at Barcelona, if I'm correct. He, he never managed it with Bayern um, as well. So, 
yeah, sort of his personal, you know, mission to, to try and get that back is, you know, he's obviously heralded as a brilliant manager. You know, there's no, there's no uh, denying that, but it's that, well, but you haven't won the Champions League since I think it was like 2011 um, or I think that's right. So like 10 years, you know, so that's going to be the big one for him. Um, and the way he's got this City team playing at the moment is just unbelievable. And I think, you know, they're, they're very likely to get through the round of 16. So assuming they do, you know, in the quarterfinals, by the time the quarterfinals roll around, they could be well clear in the Premier League and able to really concentrate their efforts more on the Champions League as well, which other clubs, maybe except Bayern, might not have the luxury of doing. Um, and obviously PSG, but we'll see how they get on. Um, so who's to say they can't do this year? I think, I think there's every chance. I think they're playing the best football in Europe. They're in the best form in Europe. Well, 19 straight wins. Obviously, they're in the best form in Europe. I don't see why they can't continue that. Cancelo's really come good for them as well. I remember when he first joined, you couldn't get in the team ahead of Kyle Walker. And now he's been, yeah, he's been absolutely unbelievable this season. Those two crosses, as you say, basically responsible for both goals. And it shows if you can whip in a really good ball, you don't have to be tall, didn't mean to rhyme there, to, to head home. You know, the first goal obviously followed City's last goal in all competitions, which is against Arsenal, where Raheem Sterling, who's not the tallest, scored a header in, in the six-yard box. And similarly, Bernardo Silva, not the tallest, uh, tallest bloke either, heads home. So it's just that pinpoint crossing of, that City have. Um, just, <laughs> just ridiculous. And then, you know, goes and proves that it wasn't by accident or wasn't luck because he picks up Bernardo Silva again, who um, whose header creates mayhem for Gabriel Jesus to double the lead. And I think the only disappointment for City is that they didn't score more, to be honest. Um, very good night for them. Yeah, Pavan, um, would you put this City squad in the same bracket that maybe Bayern was last season? Obviously, they're being very dominant in all competitions and they're really they're really showing how deep their squad is at the moment as well. So would you, would you say they're up at that level yet? Um, I say they've definitely got the potential to do that, but, you know, winning a, winning a sex tuple as it's called that, you know, buying one is, is, is no, no, you know, no easy feat. So I think, you know, that, that would, that would mean city have got to win the Carabao cup, which hopefully they do. So Spurs don't win it. They've got to win the FA cup. Um, and then, you know, look set to win the Prem. But I don't know, every, like every season, it just seems to be this will be City's year. And, you know, it does look like it will be their year this year. But sometimes Pep just, he just, he just overthinks it and gets too, too excited. So I, I'm not getting carried away yet. I think they've definitely got the potential. But as you said, I'd like to see them get a really big test, like a, like a Bayern or a PSG um, in the next round or the round after that to really show if Pep's come over this um, obsession and this uh, this problem he's had with the Champions League so far. Reese touched on my next question quite a bit in his answer, actually. Um, I was going to talk about uh, João Cancelo. Obviously, he's really made that left-back spot his own this season. As you said, it, it took him a while to get running, and but he looks to be... One, he looks to be really, really good this season. Um, 
would you put him in that bracket of like the world-class left backs, including players like Robertson and Alfonso Davies? Yeah, why not? I think he, you know, he's been at Juventus previously, so he's no stranger to playing for big clubs with big expectations and delivering. And, you know, he's come to City, who maybe not the biggest club, but they've definitely uh, definitely had the biggest success in England um, over the last decade. And um, there's a lot of expectation there still with him at City. And he's really living up to that this season. He's been, you know, one of the most important players on their on their merry uh, on their merry little uh, jog to the title, if you like. They're they're having a great time in the league, and um, and he's been a big part of that. And showing that he's a big part of their uh, their Champions League effort as well, with you know an assist and a pre-assist, if you like, but a very a key pass uh, for the second as well. So if you can keep playing like that, then um, yeah, I'd, I'd definitely say he's he's up in the very upper echelons of, of fullbacks in world football right now. Pavan, you saw him throughout the game take up positions in the centre of the pitch as well. Um, obviously, he took that long-range shot uh, that went just over the bar. Um, do you think that Pep has started to utilise his fullbacks more going forward than he had previously? Um, possibly, but I think it's it's always been... Uh, pretty well documented that Pep likes his fullbacks to basically become inverted midfielders as as such. But I think the players he's had, like Carl Walker, you know, has more wanted to just to kind of stick himself to the byline and basically sprint up and down. Um, whereas I think Cancelo's skill set basically um, is perfect for the inside midfielder, and he's taking up positions free. He's always the free man on the like opposite opposition press. I mean, no. Arteta tried to place Saka basically on a man mark job for Cancelo on the weekend. Um, and, you know, people just are, are struggling to live with him at the moment. So, yeah, I think it, it's just, uh, it's another, you know, everyone talks about the modern fullback. I, I think a modern fullback can do every, anything or any uh, or everything they want to do at the moment. It's, uh, it's pretty crazy, isn't it? Yeah, it's definitely an exciting time for City fans going forward. And it'd be interesting to see how far Pep can take them this season. And your fifth and final clue is that they hold the record for most goals scored at a World Cup, which was broken in 2014 when Germany were victorious. Reese, you got any ideas? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, I think I, I think I had it figured out after the first clue, saying that he he um he played for Napoli, um, and I thought Lazio. <laughs> oh, no, no, sorry, <laughs> sorry, I meant Lazio. Um, yeah, I think, and I was like, oh, and it was like a, a modest amount of goals, isn't it? But it wasn't too many because yeah. he's always been sort of better in international football. And I thought, yeah, um, am I allowed to say? Yeah, yeah. go ahead. Yeah. Yeah, I thought, yeah, Miroslav closer. And then yeah. as, as the clues have gone on, I've been like, yeah, this is definitely closer. Yeah. Um, what a player. Yeah, clues-wise, what are we saying? Good good this uh, week? Yeah, definitely good clues. I, I had an idea of who it was in the first clue, just because there's not been too many huge players like that that have played for Lazio, really. It's, he, yeah. he was like, well, he's been probably their most successful player. Um but yeah, it, it was a good player to do, actually. 
I, I kind of picked him because he's topical because obviously he's, he was sat in the stands for the Lazio Bayern game. Um, and I just thought, yeah, that's quite a you know interesting wow. player. He's known for his known for his international <laughs> goals. So yeah, big big brain plays. I wonder well, player also um, yeah also famously at Lazio didn't he? he um, sort of got awarded a penalty or scored a goal or something that was handball, and then he told the ref that yeah you know he he sort of cheated to get it and got the ref to reverse the decision. So what a great guy. Okay, so that brings this week's episode of Chatting Like Champions to an end. Uh, big thanks for, to Reese for coming on. No and, worries, boys. And uh, obviously, we will be back next. We'll be back next with a special project that me and Pavan have been working on. More will be revealed on our social media channels, which you can find at, at ChampionsURN on Twitter and Instagram. Uh, we upload on there quite regularly and any news that we have you you can find on there um, we have also recently just launched our spotify channels and other streaming on and on other streaming services as well our own pages which you can find on all major streaming services and as always keep it urn and stay safe <laughs>